Hello and welcome to Veritalk, podcasting the life of the mind from the Harvard Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. I'm Nick Nardini, and I'm a graduate student in English. Hello, I'm Xiaoxian, and I'm a graduate student in Chinese literature. And today we'll be talking with two graduate students about their discovery of a long-lost poem by a Native American student of Harvard's class of 1716, and what we can learn from it about education in colonial New England. Benjamin Larnell has long been familiar to historians as the last student of Harvard's Indian College, an ill-fated Native education effort by the Young University. Larnell was praised by his contemporaries as an exemplary student and an extraordinary Latin poet, but until recently, historians believed that all his work had been lost. Then last year, Stuart McManus, a PhD student in history, uncovered a forgotten poem by Larnell while doing research at the Massachusetts Historical Society. The poem is a Latin rendition of Aesop's fable of the fox and the weasel, and was assigned as an exercise at the Boston Latin School. Together with Thomas Keeline, a PhD student in classics, Stewart is publishing an analysis of his discovery in the journal Harvard Studies in Classical Philology. Stewart, Thomas, welcome to Veritalk. Hi. Hello, Nick. So, Stuart, I wonder if you could begin by just telling us the exact circumstances of how you discovered this long-lost poem. So, my project here at Harvard is to write uh, the history of the globalization of classical rhetoric. And s since my study focuses on uh, the Renaissance period, uh, a, a period when scholars and uh, statesmen used Latin in particular as a means of communication, I am going through as many colonial archives as I can uh, in the United States, in Latin America, and in uh, the parts of Asia touched by a European colonization, looking for orations, but also other works in Latin. And uh, as part of this, I've spent quite a bit of time at the Massachusetts Historical Society uh, down in Boston. And uh, one day, looking through the catalog, I noticed an unusual little work a Latin poem by an individual whom I didn't recognize at all, uh, Benjamin Larnell. Hmm. So uh, I brought it up. It's a single folio, so it's a single piece of paper hmm. uh, written on in one side in a fine italic script. Hmm. And reading over it, I noticed that, first of all, it was a poem in uh, hexameters. Uh, and then, I, again, I noticed the name that was signed at the bottom, Benjamin Larnell, who I looked up uh, in, in a sort of scholarly reference work and uh, discovered that he was the last student uh, to be associated with Harvard, uh, with Harvard Indian College in the colonial period. Hmm. But before you looked him up, you didn't realize the significance of exactly what you'd found? No, no. Uh, he's a figure that uh, we know relatively little about. Hmm. He's essentially up to now, he's been a footnote almost in the history of Harvard and the history of colonial New England. Right. And what was the collection in which you found this poem? Was it a collection of works by Native American students or something broader than that? No, uh, it is a freestanding manuscript I see. Uh, that doesn't seem to be part of any collection at all. Uh, and it's not actually entirely clear how it got into the archive. Uh -huh. It maybe arrived sometime in the 19th century, but where it lay for the 100 years before that, after it had been written, we, we simply can't reconstruct that. 
So as I understand it, Stuart, you brought in Tom Keeline as yes. a philologist to help you publicize um, this discovery, right? So let's turn to Tom now. Tom, I wonder if you could describe for us what exactly this poem is. Yeah, I'd be very happy to. The poem, as you said, is basically a school exercise. It's probably something that Larnell wrote as an assignment, a homework assignment, at the Boston Latin School. And it describes this fable, this Aesopic fable um, that isn't actually found in our ancient sources. Um, it seems to have been maybe added to this uh, Aesopic collection in the Renaissance at some point. But it describes this fable of the fox and the weasel. Uh, you've got a fox, he crawls into a grain bin through a crack and eats grain to his heart's content. Mm. He gets fat, he can't get back out again. The weasel says, look, if you want to get back out again, you have to leave as skinny as you were when you entered mm -hmm. the end. <laughs> um, and so Larnell turned this into Latin hexameter verse. He had some precedent in this, as he knew, because Horace, the Latin poet Horace, uh, who lived in the first century BC, had also uh, versified a similar mm -hmm. fable. Um, so. That's basically the content of the poem and its sort of its history. How do we know the context of, of composition? You mentioned um, it's a school assignment. Um, is that something that we know from a preface or introduction appended to the poem? Or No. Uh, it's essentially we had to reconstruct it. Uh -huh. So we know that Benjamin Larnell attended Boston Latin School uh -huh. a few years, in fact, before Benjamin Franklin did. And uh, an exercise that they were required to do as part of their daily work in, in the school was exactly this, to versify I see. a fable. Yeah. Oh, okay. And we were able to find contemporary editions mm. of Aesop's fables um, in Latin, and we were able to essentially see by looking line by line oh. how Larnell had transformed the prose that he had found mm. in the school edition into the Latin verse, and you can sort of get inside his little poetic workshop mm. and mm. reconstruct what he was doing almost at the level of each individual word. You can really look over his shoulder well, as he's writing the poem. So in your estimation, was the high school age Larnell a, a poet of, of much distinction? He had promise, um, I think, and this is a delicate question. Um, compared to Horace, no. Uh, this is not a poem uh, that an ancient Roman would have written. But what you need to compare him to is to his contemporaries, particularly his contemporaries at the Boston Latin School. Mm. Um, so Stewart found another poem written by the valedictorian of the Boston mm -hmm. Latin School just a couple years, I think, after Larnell's poem. And so that poem was written by the best student yeah. at the Boston Latin mm -hmm. School. It was given at the commencement. So this is sort of the premier occasion for him to display his poetic skill. Mm. Um, so if you look at that poem, you'll see that Larnell is better than this guy, oh, wow. I think. Um, now, uh, this doesn't mean it's the greatest poem ever. This is not a sort of romantic outpouring of feelings. <laughs> it's a school assignment. Mm -hmm. He had a textbook version of an Aesopic fable, and he mm -hmm. turned it into hexameter verse. To give a, our listeners uh, an idea, um, would you be able to read us a few lines from the poem, whether in Latin or English? Yeah, I'll be happy to. I will read you the first four lines of the poem, first in Latin, and then I'll give you the English translation. Um, so this is Latin hexameter verse, dactylic hexameters, and it goes, 
e surie longa tenuis vulpe gulaquondam, forte per angustam tendebat repere rimam, frumentad cumeram, quando bene pasta fuisset, corpore cum pleno rursus discedere vellet. So that's the Latin. And the English, in all its glory, is <laughs> once upon a time a fox thin because of long-standing hunger, happened to be striving to creep through a narrow crack into a bin of grain. When he had eaten his fill, he was eager to leave again with his stuffed belly. <laughs> this is a pretty literal translation designed yeah. simply to convey what the Latin yeah. says. But what's especially remarkable about it is that as a Native American student, Larnell wouldn't, uh, just a few years before writing this, wouldn't even have been speaking English, right? That is entirely possible. We know he was, he, he grew up in what they call an Indian praying village uh, uh, outside Where? Boston and in, in Massachusetts. And we know that he was probably uh, from a Christian family. Uh, but m more than that, we can't really say. And is that what an Indian praying village means? A, a village of Native American Christians? Yes, uh, okay. yeah, yes, exactly, mm -hmm. e exactly. Uh, and this particular village uh, was, was lucky to have a dedicated pastor, um, Rawson, who s saw Larnell's promise and started to tutor him with the idea that he would later uh, become a pastor himself and be able to uh, minister to his fellow Native Americans. Mm -hmm. As this was kind of a, a dream that the, that the Puritans had, was to create a a native ministry, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and in order to become a minister, you had to be a graduate, which meant you had to go through this classical education that Larno did. You had to go up to college, Har uh, Harvard College, and you had to complete the degree, both the bachelor's degree and, uh, and the master's degree. So uh, how many Native American peers would Larnell have had at, at schools like Boston Latin and Harvard? None. He was the only one, as far as we were aware. But there was this Native, this Indian college at, at Harvard. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, the in Indian college was both institu institution and a physical building. If you uh, if you enter the yard today by the west gate and you look to your right round uh, M Massachusetts Hall, where um, Pre President Faust has her office, mm -hmm. then uh, you will be looking at exactly where the Indian College building stood <laughs> from the mid to, uh, 17th century until it was pulled down in uh, the 1690s. So then, by the time Larnell arrived at Harvard, um, was the was the college still standing? No, no, it was it has actually been pulled down. The Indian College was started with all the best intentions, mm -hmm. but after, uh, after King Philip's War, uh, which was a war between the settlers and um, various, various local tribes, there seems to have been a decrease in either the enthusiasm for native education or a decrease in the number of students offering themselves. Mm -hmm. When Harvard needed a little bit more space, they decided to pull down this building, which was not actually in great condition, mm -hmm. uh, and, and replace it with a dorm to hold uh, English students. Mm -hmm. however, however, their mission remained. If you, uh, if you look at uh, the 1650 charter of Harvard College, it, it, it stipulates that the college has been built for the education of English and Indian youth of this country mm -hmm. in, in, in knowledge and goodness. Mm -hmm. There was still this idea that they should be educating Native American students. And in fact, Harvard had received uh, an, 
an additional endowment right about the time that the Indian College was pulled down from uh, someone, uh, those of you who know your chemistry might have heard of, Robert Boyle, mm. who was essentially the founder of modern chemistry. Uh, but as well as being a chemist, he was very interested in um, sp spreading the gospel both in Europe and, and outside. So he, he, he gave some money uh, to fund scholarships at Harvard for Native American students. And this was actually one of the scholarships that Larnell received. Mm -hmm. Tom, you had given us a few lines of the poem, and Stuart, you've talked a bit about the historical background of this period, and I'm wondering, in this poem, which takes as its topic a theme from antiquity, do we see reflections of the contemporary period of the 18th century, or is this poem purely a technical exercise in being able to write in Latin? It's an interesting question, and it's one uh, that I hadn't initially thought about, actually. I had initially just thought, well, this is simply a technical exercise. Yeah. This guy had a homework assignment. <laughs> um, but it's certainly possible uh, that, well, it's clearly the case that he could have been thinking while he was writing this. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't know what he was thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and in many cases, I like to believe that we can reconstruct what he was thinking because yeah. we can compare these editions that he must have been working from. Right. But we see, for example, in one case that he's reworked a line of Virgil mm -hmm. um, and included that. And that wasn't in the this these editions of Aesop's fables that he must have been looking at. I mean, this is something that he must have uh, read in school and remembered and he saw a chance to insert it in here and so he reworked it and he put it in. That is, by the way, the sort of thing that might confirm this idea that this is a guy with real poetic promise. Mm -hmm. um, and so He could also have just been showing off. Though. He could have been showing off. <laughs> yeah. uh, the two are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> right. um, they might even be related. Mm -hmm. um, I see. Then a related question would be, you know, the, the original story has a fairly clear moral to it. Does this get any remakes or any you know, subtle changes in his version, or is, does that essentially stay the same? Chashun, could I begin by asking what, what the clear moral is? Greed. greed. It's a warning against greed. I okay. mean, this is up, up, up for debate. Perhaps okay. you guys think differently. No, I think that's basically the, the sort of idea. <laughs> I just um, wanted yes. to hear you say and, it. <laughs> and, um, in fact, uh, Larnell actually very explicitly gives the moral at okay. the end of mm -hmm. his poem. How, did, how does he put it? Yeah. Uh, so at the end of his poem, he says something to the effect of, you'll see many people who are poor but happy because they're free from cares and they know no anxiety. Mm -hmm. But these same people, when they become wealthy, you will see them walk in sadness and never unfurrow their brows. Wow. Um, so he's very clear about exactly what the moral is supposed to be. Huh. Um, yeah. And you certainly could see various class implications or hmm. something going right. on there if you wanted to. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, as a historian, Stuart, does this one discovery enable you to make any sort of conjectures or arguments about education? at large um, at that time period. Yes, well, this is actually, as, a, as far as I'm aware, the first exercise of its type from, from colonial New England that has been found. Wow. So, uh, insofar that it, it, it allows us to put meat on the bones of the curricula that we have, mm. 
you know, we've always known that the curriculum of Boston Latin School said the students must uh, change a prose fable into verse. They must write this sort of Latin composition, that type of Latin composition. But, but before this, we've never actually had much evidence of it. And uh, it's, it's actually something that uh, his historians have tended to um, put to one side. To, to, to have an actual example of it, I think, serves two purposes. The first is that uh, it, it, it allows us to see what they were doing. We actually know probably which, which editions which mm -hmm. copies of the textbooks they had. We know roughly how they went about composing these exercises. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it, it also serves to show that this classical tradition is perhaps more important in the history of colonial in New England than mm -hmm. people have perhaps to date thought. Mm -hmm. Do either of you have any speculations about why of all the homework assignments done, say, at Boston Latin, this was the one to, to survive. This was the one to be preserved. Yeah. Well, we certainly know that President Leverett, who was the president of Harvard uh, when Larnell was there, sent some of Larnell's poetry to England. Hmm. You know, as, a, as an example of their success at educating Native Americans and basically to show that they were putting the money from English benefactors to good use. Mm -hmm. So this exercise is obviously from Boston Latin, but Larnell eventually did make it to Harvard. And how did he perform as a poet there? Tell us more about that. Do we he know? developed quite a reputation as a poet at Harvard, in fact. Um, and not just in Latin, but also in Greek and Hebrew. Mm -hmm. um, and so President Leverett uh, described him as uh, something, what's the phrase? Do you remember the phrase, Stuart? President Leverett actually described Larnell as um, I quote, an acute grammarian, an extraordinary Latin poet, and a good Greek one. <laughs> so even, even at Harvard College, you know, among our arguably the most able students from colonial New England, mm -hmm. he, he really shone as, as a poet. Right. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, nothing from that period of his work survives, right? No, sadly not. Yeah. And what did he go on to do? Did, did he eventually become the pastor that um, you, his own pastor had, had hoped he would? Sadly not, no. Like many earlier Native American students at Harvard, he actually failed to graduate. It was, uh, it was in his uh, junior year, in fact, that uh, he was swimming, probably, so maybe, maybe in Fresh Pond, we're not sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he, he caught a chill. He, he, he was taken back to the house where he was staying. He was staying with Samuel Sewell, uh, Sewell, who was a local, uh, who was a local magistrate and, uh, a, a, and a benefactor, and within the week he was dead. So he, he never actually graduated. That's terrible, especially since, as I understand it, he was the last student of Harvard's uh, colonial Native American education program, right? That's true, he was the last, and it wasn't until the 1970s when Harvard founded its Native American program that, um, that Native American students came back to Harvard. You know, really, he was the last of his type mm. until the modern period. A and I understand you'll be bringing him back to light with a, an article that you're publishing in Harvard Studies in Classical Philology? That's right. Our article will be published in 2014, and it will uh, contain both an edition of the poem, uh, so 
will have the Latin text, will have an English translation. Uh, there's a discussion of Larnell's sources and his working procedure, and then also a complete discussion of Larnell's life and times, setting things in a in a bigger uh, bigger context. Great, sounds we'll very. Look forward to that. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Obviously, classical versification isn't quite the pillar of an education that it once was, but uh, Tom, I understand that you are still writing uh, Greek and Latin poetry. Yes, uh, I actually do quite enjoy writing Greek and Latin poetry, and in somewhat self-indulgent fashion, I've even posted various specimens of my, my work on my website. Um, Where can listeners find that? Uh, it's on my Harvard Scholar website, if, if you're really interested. Actually, I mean, if you read it and you have any comments, I'm always really okay. uh, keen to, to get comments. Um, an interesting poem I just wrote is, this is a little hard to explain, but in 1917 there was a schoolmaster who wrote a poem to help students remember the digits of pi. Mm. And so each Latin word in the poem had the same number of letters as the corresponding digit mm. of the number pi. So uh, he did the decimal. So the first word is one, one syllable. Mm. Uh, the next word has, or sorry, one letter. The, the next word has four letters mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So I recently learned about tau. Tau is two pi, and there's a mathematical argument for why we should prefer tau, two pi, as the, uh, as constant. the constant. Um, so I decided I would write a poem to help you remember the digits of tau. To how, to how many digits? To 25 digits. Not bad. Um, so it's a poem in Latin elegiac couplets, and it is a little bit meta because it reflects on the notion that this is a poem to help you remember the digits of tau. Wow. Um, Who knows, it might be found you know, years down the road by another PhD student in history. It might be, yeah. it might Turning be. Their have you tried your hand at any of Aesop's fables? I have not. Um, Aesop's fables hold less interest for me. They held a lot of interest for these Puritans because they inculcated both morality and latinity at the same time. Um, yeah, it's efficient. Yes, it's, it's just efficient. Um, I'm <laughs> evidently more attracted to abstruse technical <laughs> feats of versification. All right, so Tom, Stuart, thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations again on your discovery. Oh, thank you, thank guys. You. And Xiaoshun, thank you for co-hosting with me tonight. As always, Nick. Thanks also to our producer, James Brandt, and to our guardian protectors in the GSAS Office of Communications. This episode of Veritalk was produced with support from HarvardX, and our theme music is by Domenico Vicinanza. We'd love to hear your comments or suggestions for future guests. You can reach us at veritalk at gmail.com or find us at facebook.com slash veritalk. From all of us at Veritalk, thanks for listening.